accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another show-stopping episode of Make It Count. We are the accounting industry's favorite and fastest growing podcast. And today, folks, I've got a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome to the Make It Count studio, Mr. Tom Bilton, head of the advisory channel at Fathom, looking after accountants across the entire Asia Pacific region. Tom, this is going to be a fun episode, I am sure. Welcome to Make It Count. Awesome. Yeah, excited to be here, Freddie. Perfect. Thank you, Tom. We are going to dive straight into it. But to, to get us started, for anyone that hasn't heard of yourself or isn't aware of, of Fathom and what Fathom does, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I, I'm an accountant still, although I do work in the technology industry and have done for about seven years now. So don't, don't do the nuts and bolts of accounting, but hopefully understand a little bit of what accountants are talking to. And I have worked for Fathom for nearly three years now. Um, I head up the advisory channel, so really helping accountants who are either looking to get into advisor or already doing it, sharing some secrets about how other firms are having a lot of success in this space. And I tend to look after firms in Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, Asia Pacific. So, yeah. Amazing. And I can't wait to dive into those secrets that you mentioned. Always here on Make It Count, we make sure that all of the secrets are revealed one way or another. But let's go back to the beginning, Tom. Did you always want to be an accountant? Was was accountancy always in in your stars? No, I don't think it was. I don't think I was ever sure I wanted to be an accountant. I, I actually think for a long time, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do career-wise. So um, yeah, started off with law at uni. And then, um, yeah, my uncle, who was a pretty amazing businessman, was running a, a packaging company in Sheffield. And he actually had trained as an accountant. This is probably what put the seed in my my mind. Um, and then he moved into uh, being a sales director and then, uh, yeah, moved on from that and, and ran the company. So, yeah, I think that put the yeah the thought process in my mind that you could work in business from learning accounting. Uh, after realizing I didn't want to be a lawyer after finishing uni, I, I had an opportunity to basically go for an interview at a, a quite big accounting firm. Back in the day, they were called Haworth Clark Whitehill mm. um, and sort of became Crow Haworth over time. I think maybe it was WHK Haworth in um, in Australia, maybe maybe even in New Zealand, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, and did, did a training contract and yeah, which was kind of terrifying, but got through it and um, yeah, slowly started to obviously over that time learn about business, certainly from the accounting angle. Yeah, and then was lucky enough to to move into working in businesses after that sort of segued out of working in practice, which I did for six years, and into, yeah, worked in a range of businesses. Uh, I can tell you more about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was the initial trajectory. Amazing. And when you were in those businesses, 
was your role to be more of that traditional compliance type accountant or did you get any any opportunities to really stretch your advisory legs as such even from an internal perspective as the the accounting and financial professional within those businesses yeah so initially working in um hall with clark whitehill uh which was this top 10 firm in the uk which Actually, then the R3 offices in the north of England, Yorkshire, got acquired by Baker Tilly, which is another, it was a bigger firm. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very much your traditional accounting in practice, doing business services work, you know, creating statutory financial statements, doing audits. And so I would say there was the side of the commerciality of that was purely the review of the business at year end and providing some management reporting advice, I guess, some end of year advice, but very little. It was really moving into working uh, in industry. And yeah, my first role was uh, basically heading up the finance department for a pretty big co-packaging company for Nestle and Mars and and Kinder. And in the UK, we've got something called United Biscuits, which is McVitie's and all that. So that was a, a relatively big packaging firm. And that's really where the, I guess, the commercial stuff started. Because I was, you know, doing the monthly management reporting and having to do budgeting and cash flow forecasting and, you know, dealing with big cash flow problems and and having to go and, you know, negotiate with banks and and do stuff. So I think that was that was really a baptism of fire. And again, was quite terrifying to do, but I definitely probably accelerated my my learnings. What were the key learning points, as you say, when because I know so many accountants are in these positions when either working in industry within businesses or if they're in practice if we get thrown into a new client situation a new project a new challenge there is always that feeling in the pit of your stomach that whole it's sink or swim and i've got a feeling i'm just getting deeper and deeper into it right now what did you learn both about how to deal with these situations and and about yourself yeah so this is a good question I think, first of all, and this, this happened on a few occasions, it was always at the very beginning, coming back to the core elements of, that I'd learned it, without realizing that this is what I probably should do, is that just an accounts would understand this, is looking at the trial balance or the, you know, the P&L and the balance sheet line by line and working out, do all these things make sense? Is everything reconciled in the balance sheet? And does the P&L make sense and this sort of thing? So almost the very first thing I always did was that. And that really gave would always give me a good grounding of where I am. And obviously, when you're working with businesses or in business, then every month, really, you should be coming back to that. Are the numbers were as they should be in terms of the clarity that you have. So that was always a, a mainstay of things. But I guess working in businesses, you were really exposed to the workings of the business to understand, well, what is it that is generating or could generate revenue? What is it that is you know, a problematic or how the cost base is made up and also where are we in terms of our balance sheet. So, and then I think it's, you're dealing with business stakeholders, both internally and externally. And for me, it was a lot more interesting because you're really getting to the nuts and bolts of how businesses run. Are there, because I know there's, there's many accountants out there that there may be a struggle, should we say, between what you see on a balance sheet or in an annual accounts report and then who you see on the other side of the meeting table in terms of that stakeholder, in terms of that client. Mm. Were there ever any times when they say you talk about the more technical side of things with the balance sheet and then the softer side of things with the stakeholder management? Were there any times when your your skills were really put to the test in terms of having to, to manage these stakeholders? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm just thinking back to some of the roles I did. 
I guess the stakeholder management piece would sometimes come back to that customer relationship. You're still dealing with two separate businesses when you've got external customers on the other side of the, of the table, I guess. And with in that respect, you know, we had some big customers in terms of Nestle and Mars. And of course, they have their own agenda, which they don't always tell you. And so mm. I think that was one of the most challenging parts was that you can really be on the receiving end of major strategic decisions by their business that they might give you absolutely no foresight of and then having to really pivot and change your own strategy necessarily and we faced that in some pretty big ways with the ips which was the the first organization uh, i also was very very lucky to work with uh, the most amazing managing director of that business that i first went into and he was just a really amazing mentor he was ex-unilever and um was just yeah, fantastic people person, but also incredibly switched on commercially. So I was really lucky to have him, you know, just take me on the journey with him, really. So mm. yeah, it was great. What did he teach you that you think you wouldn't have would have necessarily picked up without that mentor? It was all sorts of strange things like going with your gut feel about things, like how almost always your gut feeling around things, your intuition is going to be right. He was a great leader because, you know, as the first <laughs> The first time I'd ever worked in a bit, I had, in some respects, no idea what I was doing because I'd never worked as an accountant in business before. It was very, yeah, supportive. And it really made me think, certainly later in my career when I'm managing people more recently about, you know, like every, we're all humans, we all make mistakes and you want to really make people feel absolutely capable and alert. this particular in the technology industry. It's like, just let people make mistakes and learn. Like, it's like, we're all... Mm here to do a particular job so that was something else that just really came out the support his supportive nature and also his strategic mindset like really thinking about and communicating well as having to deal with things coming left field and then be more strategic a, a change strategy or build a strategy that was going to really propel the business or and for a time we we're actually absolutely facing going becoming insolvent because of cash flow problems so you know, protecting the jobs of a couple of hundred people, like, and actually the area that we worked, our organ, our business was in, the head office was um, Featherstone in West Yorkshire, which is very, like, poor. Mm. And so that, you know, you had a huge amount of responsibility to the people in the local town. And then there were a whole load of businesses that were our suppliers off the back of it. That's, that's really powerful, I think, as you, you say, it's about letting people making mistakes letting people to make mistakes and learn, which for people in the accounting industry, when we are so focused on accuracy and not making mistakes and passing tests and completing exams and everything else, that whole concept of willing to fail, being open to making a mistake, being willing to, to be vulnerable, it is, yeah. it's quite difficult to, to get your head around sometimes. I think it is for accountants, especially because, you know, having been an accountant in a practice, or a couple of practices and, and and experiencing that and then experiencing being an accountant in business and then experiencing not being an accountant, being in a completely different role, mm. as in being on the other side, uh, the different side of the business, which is, you know, customer facing and um, partnerships and business development and account management, et cetera, is that you kind of really realize that there is more to the world than you knew before. And I think one of the issues that I think accountants in practice have is because they might spend their entire career in practice that they sort of 
unless they listen to podcasts like yours or, you know, and maybe expose themselves in other ways to different things, you can miss out on some really great learnings. And I think there's certainly the technology sector has taught me because technology is all of, the reason all these companies have done so well is because they they build a product or they build a small product and they test it quickly and they learn, does that work? Does, does a customer like this or not? And they then take those learnings and then do the next iteration of the products. And then that just keep iterating. So it's test, learn, test, learn, test, learn, test, learn. And that's why a lot of technology companies have had a lot of success because they have this adoptive approach of constantly learning. Whereas I think there's a there's a real focus in the accounting. Unless everything is absolutely perfect, and I absolutely mm. know what the answer is that maybe the client is going to ask me, I won't move forward until I'm more I'm certain or I can negate all the risk that could eventuate. And I completely understand that because there's a trust element. You're building relationships with clients. You want them to understand that you're the expert. But I think one of the things that really I would like to communicate, <laughs> it's good to communicate, is that in this business performance advisory, you cannot be the absolute expert in this business you're trying to help have more profit or more cash flow. Mm. You don't know all the answers. The business owner probably knows half of them and you know half of them. You, all you need to do is to go and identify one or two or three things that are super important to that business that they're not going to know. And often it's around gross profit or working capital or whatever. You're going to mm. spot something in there through having access to the transactions and just go and have a chat with them. If you do that, you will unlock, you number one, communicate how much you know. You know a huge amount they don't know you know. They will really enjoy that. And either they will go down and thank you for that and it will lead to something, or they will tell you something about the business that you didn't know. And then you'll have a conversation about that thing. And there's so much to be won in terms of relationships and moving things forward and improving your ability to offer great services and expertise to clients and then wanting to take it up just by having a small conversation and taking the leap. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I believe that perfection is the enemy of progress because sometimes we are so focused on everything being perfect, on the timing being perfect, the information being perfect, the questions being perfect, the systems, the tools, the technology, everything being perfect that we're then paralyzed because we, we feel like we can't move forward. So with perfection being the enemy of, of progress, sometimes we have to let go of our desire to control everything because life is unfortunately chaotic and it's better to go with that flow, with that with that imperfect current and, and get further downstream with the client than, than be sat on the riverbank waiting for the, the perfect time to jump in. Yes, 100%. Let's work out how, how the, the next steps went then, Tom, because I, Sherlock Holmes, I am not, but going from an accountant in a business in the UK to where you are now in Australia with this really powerful, really impactful role with Fathom that's making a difference to so many accounting firms in the whole Asia Pacific region. How did that come about? Did you start to get a feeling in, in your head that it was time for something different? How, how did you make the, the transition? I'd never felt like I was going to spend my entire life being an accountant. I, you know, I'd done it to learn about business. And I think after I'd finished uh, working for with the managing director of, of that amazing packaging company in, in Yorkshire, 
I'd kind of come to the conclusion that I was very exhausted by the, I spent two years there and I've made the con- sort of conclusion that, wow, this is, this is full on. And now mm. I've, I've spent my time doing the auditing, you know, I've done accounting in practice and I've done accounting in business. And, you know, I thought maybe if I went into, moved into business and be an accountant in business, that would be the answer that I was looking for. And it, and it wasn't. And through exhaustion, I just decided, you know, I'm 31 years old. I've spent 10 years doing uni and then having a bit of time out and then moving into this world of accounting and I've given it a good go. I'm really tired. And I want, I basically, I, I wanted to see the world. So I, uh, yeah, decided to come back to Australia. I'd actually done a uni exchange for six months to QUT in Brisbane for my law course. And I, then I wanted to stay in Australia, the wonderful country that it is. And I wanted to get my citizenship. And I spent, but the only way I could do that was I had to, uh, the only skill I had was being an accountant. So I had to continue being an accountant, even though I'd made basically made this decision that I didn't want to be an accountant anymore. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I then sort of moved from role to role, not really enjoying them, to be honest. Yeah. And then I had a relationship breakup uh, and decided I would go back to the UK to get over things and give myself a bit of a break. And during that time, I decided I had to stop being an accountant because I knew I didn't want to do that. But I didn't know what to do next. So I actually thought about working in the nonprofit sector and I um, enrolled in this amazing course, one of the world's best business schools for and for this specific thing called CAS Business School. It's now been renamed Bayes mm. Business School in London. And their focus, actually, interestingly, is the investment market. So they're a kind of feeder uni for Morgan Stanley, Goldman mm. Sachs, and they're in that area of London, the banking district. But also they have, you know, had a specialism in nonprofits. So I worked in a charity and an NGO whilst doing my part-time degree, but also had a technology sort of goal because they were right next to the UK's Silicon Valley, which is actually called Silicon Roundabout, which is in Morgate. It's old street uh, kind of area, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly exactly Mm. right. And um, I would just go to these technology things, TED Talks, those Thomson Reuters would do these things, get people who had built SaaS companies and sold them for 30 million pounds, these CEOs and you know, they might have the innovation arm of Shell and and I would just get drawn to these different lectures. And then sort of the light bulb went on. I was like, I'm not really enjoying there were a few things I didn't particularly feel aligned to in the NGO charity sector and around speed of decision making and everything and really the difficulty of not having funds and but I was drawn to technology and and then I decided I've got to I've got to get back to Australia, get my citizenship and also I'm going to give this a go in the technology sector. Hence that's my journey mm. into, yeah it was a feeling i followed the feeling go into the technology sector follow your intuition as my old managing director has said and i think it's it's such a great point because i know that that so many accountants so many people feel stuck i i, I felt stuck in my career in my life before so many times and there's that kind of that debate that you have inside your mind of part of you thinks just shut up get on with it no one's supposed to be happy no one's supposed to love what they do it's just kind of a job and that's life and that's being a grown-up and then the other part of you that thinks i want something different i want something different in my life i want to feel unstuck i want to go in this different direction i think it's it's really powerful what you say around probably doing the scarier thing the the, the easy thing is to stay stuck the easy thing is to stay where you're not particularly happy but because it's something that you know and uh, there must have been a few moments when you just thought what am i doing or were you always just like this is the path this is the way oh the, no there were definitely some moments where i just thought have i made the right decision because i, I moved into basically 
I couldn't really work out what function role I wanted to do in technology. I, I knew I didn't want to do back. I knew I didn't want to be an accountant for a technology company. I knew I didn't want to be an HR. So I also knew I didn't, I had nothing about the marketing subjects in the management uh, masters jumped out. You know, I didn't have a, a feeling I should do that. I didn't really understand product management. Like I was kind of interested in it to a degree, but I didn't really feel to I should do that. And there were some roles going around business development, sales, account management. And I just thought, you know, I feel like maybe I should try that. Now, doing that, I think what I realized was I had some skills in that area, but also there were things about it that I didn't like. So after I set myself a three-year goal and I thought, well, if I'm going to start my career again, if I really give it a go for three years, you know, I'll make a decision three years in, what do I do next? Even though maybe this feels uncomfortable or I... I'm not enjoying it a year in, or there's something about it I don't like. I have set this three-year goal, and I'm going to keep going. And I'm I'm glad I did. I like you know. I think by the end of the three years, that's when the real question came. It was like I, I got really stuck. Then I was like, I don't think I want to keep doing this same role. Um, and I don't actually now know. Actually, I did have a plan B. My plan B was I I started working on a startup. Uh, I, I thought that was going to be the panacea because I genuinely thought I wanted to do that. But then working on it, and this was absolutely the earliest stage startup you could possibly get really get involved in. I really realised doing that journey. So I, I guess I leapt again into something else. And actually, interestingly, I quit my job the month before COVID hit. And so I quit my job, planned to work on the startup from the Gilly Islands, which is near Lombok, actually. So mm. it's a concern and go scuba diving every day and um yeah so i couldn't i literally had moved out of my place in melbourne i had no job nowhere to live and couldn't couldn't go to the gilly islands because the sea of covid so that was a, a challenging year but again it all worked out in the end because after four or five months of working on this art a fair bit but also when I decided that wasn't really wasn't for me, I really had a feeling again that I shouldn't be doing it. Like an, I had an anxiety, you know, quite a lot of anxiety around this. I actually then, because I had no plan C, I I had to go away and literally really center myself. And mm. I have done that to an extent, but really do a lot of meditating. And interestingly, what happened was when I sp- went through this sort of internal, I guess, emotional pain, <laughs> and really worked through it. I kind of had this light bulb moment of what, again, what I wanted to do. And I had this checklist of about six things. And two days later, someone phoned me up and it ticked the checklist. Amazing. So, yeah. I love like, it when when accountant chat gets all a bit spiritual and powers of the universe uh, uh, and law of attraction and all that. I love that stuff. But I think it's it's absolutely true what you say, Tom. I think this is really powerful, not only for accountants, but also accountants who are advising their clients because so many times in our life we don't do what we want and we say what's the biggest fear the biggest fear is i've got no job and i've got nowhere to live that's the worst that could ever happen to me and yet you were in that situation and you found a way forward and i think for many of us we allow our fears to control us we allow uh, our fears to stop us from following the path that we want to follow but you're proof that even even if it turns out that some of our fears get realized you always find a way forward. There is always a way to make it work. A solution will always appear. We physically can't stay without a job, without anywhere to live forever. We will always find a way forward, no matter how difficult it may seem. Yeah, I think if the, it's taught me one thing. It's like you can logically think through like 
things that you should be doing. But if that logic is working against what you inherently sort of sense you should be doing, mm. then really are going to be very stuck. And um, I could have kept being an accountant and I could have kept slogging away. And I'm sure I would have slowly over time got better and better at it. And to a degree, I would have had some success. But I inherently sort of was like, there ha- there is more to life than this. And I think if you have that feeling or you feel like you should be doing something else, I think you just have to remember you have one life right? mm. as, as far as we know. And so, you know, give things a go. Like, And if they don't work out, you can always go back to being an accountant. Or if you want to, you know, you're being an accountant, you do tax and advice, you want to do advisory, then give it a go. You know, you've got mm. to, you can just try things. And the worst that can happen is you're going to have a meeting with a client and you'll ask them some questions. Maybe some of them you don't know the answer to, but you can say, you know, actually, that's a really interesting point. I'll get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get back to you on that one. I'm going to investigate that. But I think what you'll find is 90% of the answers you know, and actually you'll learn a load of other stuff that actually is a benefit. 100%. We judge our ability to succeed based on a previous version of ourselves, not on a future version of ourselves. We we always tell ourselves this story because something didn't work in the past, because I told myself a story that I wasn't good at something or I wasn't confident enough or I wasn't talented enough. That means this thing I want to do won't work. But it's a false assumption. Mm-hmm. I believe if we judge our ability to, to succeed based on who we believe we can become, then we're prepared to take more risks. We're prepared to take more leaps into the the depths of uh, of our desires, of our potential. So, um, so I think it's, it's super powerful. We talked about helping accountants to succeed. Let's bring it to the the, the present day in in your role with Fathom. We said right at the start about about helping accountants learn advisory secrets about about looking after these these accountants across the Asia Pacific region and helping them to sell and deliver more advisory work. How how, how do you make this happen? I'm not sure if I personally make it happen. I mean, <laughs> well, say you do, Tom. You're you're the one there pulling the strings. I'm sure. <laughs> no, no. Well, as accountants, they make it happen for themselves. And to be honest, they make it happen for themselves by making a decision and taking action. And as much of a key thing as learning accounting or learning all about management ratios and you know cash flow forecasting is just having the mindset <laughs> genuinely. And this is why you know I'm very aligned with you know, you're the way, you know, you think and, and operate is that you have to have dedicate your mindset to doing some of mm. this work. And if you do do that, it's the world is your oyster. And I watch accountants who adopt a good mindset, mm. absolutely have the best life, as in, they have the best life at work, because they're working with and I'm, I know I'm talking about the advisory business performance side of stuff. They're working with clients where literally they are helping them achieve their goals, their business goals, but either their business goals or their life goals. So it's mm. either I want to make more money and make be more profitable and you know be a business success in that sense and sell the business maybe, or I want to have a more successful business so that I have more time back with my kids or I have less stress because I can employ more people who will do some of the work that, you know, I don't have to work 70 hours a week or whatever it is. Or, and the antithesis is my business is literally, literally my life is going downhill and I might lose this business. I might lose my home. And they go in and rescue that business. Mm. And to be able to go into work and actually do that sort of work where you're really making that difference is really genuinely interesting and exciting and rewarding. 
And so there's that side of it. And then there's also the side of, I guess, you're employing people that actually really enjoy this work as well. So what I also see is when accountant, accounting firms sort of commit to going down this this avenue of doing this advisory work, they have to set up a small team of people and then they build that and make it a bigger team. Mm. But this is really interesting work for younger accountants. Like a lot of accounting is not that exciting to start with, but getting involved in things like planning for the future of a business or analyzing a business is very like a quite exciting side of accounting. So I think whatever type of accountant you are in terms of maybe wanting to get into this work, whether you're a manager, a senior accountant, a partner, a director, or you're a very junior person, or you're thinking about getting into the sector, having the right mindset and going for it is, is one thing. And then also having the mindset that you're going to learn from how other firms are doing this or how other people have success, just mm. going a little bit all over the places with this. But one of the misnomers or one of the problems that I see all the time is that a lot of firms that are getting into this space or trying to make it work or struggling with it, adopt a mindset of we're going to basically do what we have always done before in terms of tax and compliance work. And um, you have to do different things with advisory work. You have to concentrate, a, number one, step back, not be as fearful of not knowing all the answers. And with tax and compliance, you can know all the answers because you're the tax expert, maybe. But with advisory, you're not going to know all the answers about the business because you don't, you're not in the business working in it. You have to be comfortable with asking lots of questions. You have to be actually have a process that is proven that you can follow. And people like you and you know, there are other organizations out there you know, have been experienced with all this and, and can help provide a process. So it's about learning a product like Fathom, which is genuinely the best product in the world. And I did my benchmarking <laughs> before joining and continue to get all the feedback from customers. Mm. Having a process to follow and having the mindset to experiment and go down it and test and learn this process and these products and then test and deliver with clients. So, yeah, there's plenty of other things I guess I can tell you, but those are a few things that I guess are important. I think that that's super powerful, as you say, around having that process to follow, but also the mindset to actually take the steps. And it can be, I'd love to get your, your view on this, but I think it could be confusing for, for accountants. Again, we come from this world of wanting that perfection and we can have the process. And then there's that whole, there's always the question of how, how do I do this? How do I hold the meeting? How do I have the conversation with the client? How do we start doing advisory? We get confused by this constant desire to know how, but I always say that the path illuminates as you walk it. Sometimes you only have to know the next step, not the whole journey. Yes. And it's it sounds like with Fathom especially, you give accountants well, more than the first step, but certainly the you light the pathway for them in terms of the benchmarking and, and, and where they can go with, with their client work. Yeah, it's, it really is coming back to that. Bit. Think iteratively and think small steps. Actually, somebody told me an analogy. Actually, I think I read it in a book. Mel Robbins, maybe. Anyway, yep. I'm sure she's pretty famous. Anyway, mm. uh, she talks about you've got this goal to do something. It could be about a hobby you want to start and thinking of it as a bridge. Mm. Now, the problem is, and accounts often and are very, uh, I guess, fall into this trap is, you focus on building this bridge and it's there's a long way to the other side of the river and it's going to have to be a big bridge and you've got to go and get all those materials and it's got to be made of raw iron steel and it's got to be shipped from overseas and there's a mm. supply chain and et cetera, et cetera. But what Mel Robbins says is stop thinking about the bridge and the entire building process and getting and literally the end product. Think of the bridge as a Lego bridge and all you are doing is you are laying the first block 
because you cannot build the big bridge in its entirety in one go. The way the bridge is built is piece by piece. And you have to just make the next step. You make the next step, you then work, will work out what the next step is. To your point, it's one step at a time. And if you get into that mindset and you don't try and boil the ocean, you will go really far with moving into something like advisory work because it literally is, you know, for example, for Fathom, get in touch and have 45 minutes with one of our team who will fast track your learning. You can go and spend two weeks doing a trial and like work it all out for yourself and you will miss things. Mm. Or you can have 45 minutes with someone that will speed up your time. And that is just one step. That's the, I'd say that's the Fathom step. And then there could be a process step and the process step might be, you know, you go and engage with somebody who's done this, got this process for you. And it might be just one thing. It's the process of having a meeting with a client to discuss positioning a cash flow project. Okay, what do I say? Okay, well, let's just break this one down. And you just do that one thing. Not, I'm going to need to offer all these services. I need to work mm. out all the processes for all of them. I need to actually put this in learning management system. I need, do you know what I mean? Let's just start, start with you and maybe one of your team members or two. And then, so keep breaking things down into just small steps and start. Mm. You have to start and just do it. Definitely. Identify a couple of clients. Like you've got a thousand clients. Let's just pick 20 that are the best. And then let's pick three of those. And visit. I had one uh, fantastic lady in um, Sydney who actually, she was at her and, I, and I said, look, let's just step there. every month, 15 minutes together. And I said, let's just pick four clients. She went away and picked four. One month later, one of them had taken up a project. Next month, three of them. And I think all four in the end took up her suggestion of project. One mm. was a monthly management report. One was a two were cash flow forecasts. And do you know what I mean? But it was just taking the steps and doing it. Definitely. I think, as you say, it's about breaking things down simply. Success comes from subtraction. We always believe that we need to build more and more and more and more. And this is from someone who spent much of his early career burning bridges, not building them. But um, it is about making sure that, say, we we break things down to the simplest level. Uh, I love that, Tom. That's such a, a powerful analogy. And I know that the, the listeners will will love it as well. We're, we're starting to, unfortunately, come to the end of the episode now. but. In terms of the future, what what do you feel the future looks like for for accountants, and especially a a fathom powered future for accountants as well? Yeah, well, I, I think the one of one of the most interesting things I read recently was about FP and A. So FP and A software, and that sound. Uh, uh, if anybody doesn't know what FP and A, that's financial planning and performance, financial performance and analysis. And so that's the the remit of in the olden days. I guess it was just big companies that did FP and A. Your Coca Colas, and you have a whole team doing your budgeting, your forecasting. You look at all your products and your divisions, and you're looking at the profit by you know cost centers and all that. The thing about Fathom is what products like Fathom do is really democratize that FP and A, and that's that's really grounded out in the in in the statistics or the the data of how this is going to grow in terms of a a sector. And so the sector is $4 billion at the moment, but in seven years will be uh, $16 billion, so four times the size of what it is now. And so this is why it's really important for accountants to start using great tools to start getting into this work because helping businesses perform better, and that really is just about maximizing profits and optimizing cash flows or maximizing cash flows, is absolutely doable using software and following some processes to have conversations with clients and adopting the right mindset. And so this is a huge growth industry and tax and compliance is not going to quadruple in size in the next four years. I 
look, it's always going to be important. It's never going to go away. Everyone's going to need tax returns and the complexity isn't probably going to get any less, but it will get more automated. And one of the most interesting things, I actually in the same week, I read an article obviously about the growing size of the FP&A software market, but also the same timeline applies to AI. It's a seven-year timeline. They think that in seven years, AI will really quite have fundamentally changed many, many avenues of business, including the accounting sector. Now, in a year's time, which was not that far away, it will be six years. We'll be at zero on that seven-year count very quickly. And so taking advantage mm. of this, this, this amazing area of work, of which is very beneficial for, for firms because it creates a flywheel of additional services. So, you know, you go and do the budget, the budget turns into monthly management reporting. There's a problem with cash, but, you know, you have to do the cash flow forecast and then actually realize they're going to have too much cash and then they need to do some asset financing around some assets that they're going to buy. And actually there's a project and the company's growing and then there's a, they need some advice on leadership and training and need a new system. And, you know, it really genuinely is an amazing area to get into. Mm. And, um, yeah, there's another side thing I, you know, talk about, about, Staffing attraction and retention is is really obviously a massive problem for accountants, and that is only going to get worse. I must just say, in the US, there is a hundred thousand less people going into accounting every year, and that is born not in exactly statistically the same numbers in Australia. I'm sure, but I can guarantee less and less people are going into accounting in Australia and other countries. Mm. I would just say that that is not going to change. So accountants have to get think about how we're going to. How are you going to deal with that over time? And that's maybe for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get your views on that, Tom. We will absolutely have to have a a part two because, yeah, that whole uh, attraction and retention side is uh, is a key one and one that I'm, I'm personally so passionate about. But I think you make a, a great point around FPA as well. This, this thing is going to build up so much momentum alongside AI and it's really good to turn into a juggernaut and, and smart accounting firms are the ones that are going to jump on that bandwagon now mm. and uh, especially and um, be, be connecting with people like yourself and and Fathom as well. We unfortunately come to the end of the conversation now Tom I wish we could have uh, have a longer conversation and we will certainly have a part two but the only thing to cover now is the final secret question. Now, as everyone is aware by now, it is the tradition here on Make It Count that a previous podcast guest gets to set a question for the current guest, which is you, Tom. So I haven't seen this uh, this question myself, so I will pull it up in my, uh, well, I'll check the email to be honest, there's nothing glamorous about it. But um, in terms of, of your secret question, Tom, that's an interesting one. Your secret question is, what is your gift to the world? Oh my goodness, that is a tough one. How long do I get to think about this? About five <laughs> I know uh, you're on the spot here. Hopefully, it is. Um, yeah, just helping share my share my knowledge in this yeah specific area, and I think maybe it's uh, certainly at least give to the world in terms of accountants is having seen three different areas probably of of business and being an accountant. Hopefully, I can offer a bit of a unique perspective that yeah helps them move outside of the box that they live in and you know, push things forward and open up their world a little bit more. Love it. 
Thank you, Tom, especially being put on the spotlight. That was a uh, was a great answer. Uh, Tom, it's been a pleasure having you here on Make It Count. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to find out more about uh, how you can help them, if they want to find out more about Fathom, how do they get in touch? Yes, I'm not sure if they'll um, be able to pick this up just listening, listening, but if they're absolutely welcome to email me. It's tom, T-O-M dot Bilton, B-I-L-T-O-N at fathomhq.com. And I'm sure they'll be able to find me on LinkedIn. Definitely. We'll put all the links and the other link to the Fathom website in the show notes as well. For now, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved this conversation. We are definitely going to get you back to, to crack open the attraction and retention keg. But for now, it's been wonderful. Thank you for your wisdom, your knowledge and your stories. And thank you for being part of Make It Count. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Freddie. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise, and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.